Hey there, welcome to Night School. You know, something that is very interesting to me is the way that human beings will retcon language to fit the time in which they live or to fit a certain context, either in the absence of knowing a given word's true origin or just to, you know, fit whatever their viewpoint is, to fit their point of view. And, uh, you know, a friend had emailed me a couple days ago, a guy I know who he's, I'd say, a generation older than I am. I'd say he's 15, 20 years older. And uh, he's always been a very progressive guy, but a true progressive, you know, like 15 years ago, I, I remember talking to him and he was a pretty outspoken feminist, but from a generation earlier. And he's an uh, extreme environmentalist. I don't know that you should call environmentalists extreme, but I mean, he draws a very firm line about environmentalism, but uh, he contacted me just because of some of the culture war stuff that's going on. And he's a very open-minded guy, so it's like even where we disagree, we can have an intelligent exchange. Uh, like, And last year, I mean, just to give a little context too, like last year around election time, he and I were going back and forth about Trumpsfeld, a name that hasn't been brought up on here in a while. It felt like there were every episode for a while was Trumpsfeld because we all, we all had the bug to talk about him one way or another. But I was talking to my friend about him last, yeah, it was probably last November. And he was saying, like, he can completely get along with Republicans, conservatives. He can find common ground with them, but he couldn't see eye to eye with a Trumpsfeld supporter. He couldn't understand what would make someone a Trumpsfeld supporter. And he mentioned, like, he knew somebody who was a, a Bernie Sanders supporter who became a Trumpsfeld supporter. And he didn't understand how somebody could make that jump. And that's because I think people have a tendency to see that jump from one point of view, like, oh, he has to jump over that canyon to get there. And it makes no sense why he would want to do that. It makes no sense how you could even physically do that. How could you go from supporting essentially a communist, socialist, whatever you want to call him, to suddenly supporting Donald Trumpsfeld? You know, how could you make that jump? And then I think what a lot of people don't see is... They took the back door. They took the back way. It turns out that this is some sort of weird thing where you're focused on the canyon that somebody would have to jump to get there when really all he has to do is take a step backward, a couple steps backward, and he'll be on that side of the canyon. It's like a loop or something where it's like you exit stage left, but when you exit stage left, you end up walking out from stage right. And I think that's the sort of approach that somebody, let's say like a Bernie Sanders supporter took to Trumpsfeld. It was like they walked out stage left and they ended up coming out stage right. It's not that they crossed the stage to get to stage right. It's that it turns out going, walking out stage right is some weird, you know, fun house where you end up walking out on the opposite side, if that makes any sense. And I mean, it makes sense that people wouldn't realize that's what happened, you know, with a lot of them, at least. I mean, I, I believe some people could actually just jump over that canyon. But I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people were using the back door. A lot of people were actually stepping backward to get to the other side. Um, but uh, so my friend, you know, he had, he had a lot of issues with Trumpsfeld and, and just couldn't understand who would support them. Because he said he was saying at the time, and hopefully I'm, I'm not misquoting him, but he was saying at the time, like, he understands 
the opposition in the culture war. Like he understands why people give pushback to some of the left's behavior in the culture war, like the cancellations. I, I hate to even use that phrase, cancel culture or any of that, but uh, he was saying he understands the opposition to that. But what he couldn't understand is supporting Trumpsfeld solely because of that. Like he couldn't, he didn't understand like why somebody, maybe maybe not that he didn't understand it, but just that he couldn't accept the idea that somebody would support a candidate like Trumpsfeld because of one issue, and that issue being like censorship or, you know, political correctness or whatever it is. And the reality is, is a lot of people who supported Trumpsfeld supported him for that reason, because the reality is we make a lot of our decisions based around one little thing. A lot of the decisions we make are because of one thing, and not just in politics, not just the politician we support, I mean, you think about like if a if an actual, you know, if someone running for president made their entire platform federal legalization of weed. I know some pol- some presidential candidates have probably mentioned doing that. I know they have. But if somebody really put it out there, and that person was a viable candidate, there are going to be a lot of people who vote for them for that sole reason. And you could say that's stupid. You could say, oh, I, I can't believe you supported him because just because he's going to legalize the, the weed. You know, it's one of those things where it sounds ridiculous. But the reality is to somebody that matters. To somebody that's relevant to their life, it's important to them. And they might think it's important to everybody, too. You know, it's, it's very easy to think that your own pet issue matters to everybody. And a lot of pet issues do matter to a lot of people, too. That's the thing, too. Just because something's a pet issue doesn't mean that a lot of people don't find it important. But I think the cancel culture thing, the so-called cancel culture thing, I think that was a, a major draw because you see it everywhere. That's a big difference with the, the whole cancel culture thing and, and, you know, the political correctness and just the overcompensation, the overcorrection of all that stuff it's important to people for one and it would lead people to support certain political candidates who they might not otherwise support because you see that stuff everywhere you see it on tv you see it online chances are you know somebody who has kind of gotten taken in by all that stuff if you live in the pacific northwest or the west coast chances are you know a lot of people who have been taken in by that stuff so i think that's just something to consider is just that it's like part of it is what you see the most of Like, even if something seems like a minor issue in the grand scheme of things, like how could you support a political candidate who's going to, you know, allow corporations to, you know, damage the the earth in some way? You know, who's going to support, you know, it's like one thing, it's like somebody might be an environmentalist and you say, like, how could you possibly support a political candidate who's going to allow oil companies to do whatever they want? Uh, and, and it's a valid question for that person, but that person doesn't necessarily see that all the time. They don't see oil being spilled in the ocean. They don't see fracking. What they see is every time they go online, every time they watch TV, every time they talk to some people, it seems like you're just constantly running into this culture war everywhere you go. So because you see it so much, that becomes infinitely more important because that's a thing that bothers you regular regularly, it becomes a higher priority. 
like you could say, oh, you know, I, I noticed that you have a, you know, a, your your arm is broken. Aren't you going to do something about that? And somebody says, well, you know, like it's a, I, first I need to get a Band-Aid for this cut on my toe. And someone's like, no, you should, clearly your arm's broken. That should take all your, your priority. That should be the most important thing to you. But the cut is bothering that person more. Like the cut rubs up against their body and it rubs up against their clothes or, or they can't walk. They can't put their shoes on without agitating that cut. You know, this is kind of a ridiculous example. Like is somebody really going to prioritize a cut over a broken limb? Probably not. But still, I mean, you get the idea that I'm trying to give here. It's, it's basically like the thing that somebody is more aware of the thing that somebody comes into contact with more, the thing that they're more aware of is going to be the thing that they prioritize politically or in any other way. So anyway, to go back to, you know, what my friend emailed me, he he mentioned just that he's becoming increasingly frustrated with the left. And this is a guy who, as long as I've known him, I mean, I, I would dare call him a little bit of a hippie. And I mean that, you know, in a fun way. But still, like as far as his values go, that's kind of where I would put him, knowing him a long time. But he said he's been very, lately he's been very agitated by the left and like the anger of the left specifically. And uh, you know he pointed out a couple things too that you know this goes back to what I originally wanted to talk about, which is uh, the sort of like retconning of language because he pointed out to me that some sort of poll or study was done, and this audience said that they would prefer that podcasters don't use words like blacklist or um, what's the other one blacklist or, or like master bedroom or powwow. And the idea was that uh, those are racially insensitive terms. Like they're saying that don't use the word blacklist because it has black in it. And that suggests something about black people. And master bedroom shouldn't be used because it's in reference to the slave master's bedroom. And it turns out neither of those terms have any roots in in slavery or, you know, hate. Like, neither of these terms have any any background uh, in, in those. I guess, you know, powwow obviously refers to a native ceremony. I think the issue with that one is that people use it casually. Like, yeah, we're going uh, having ourselves a little powwow here. Hey, let's get together and have a little powwow. You know, people kind of throw that around casually. I guess it's offensive to use a ceremonial native term, I guess, is is the idea behind that. It shouldn't be used casually by outsiders. Uh, but with Blacklist and, and Master Bedroom, this may be something everyone else heard. Like this may, I don't know, maybe other, my friend just mentioned this to me. And just right away, I'm like, yeah, you know, obviously those terms aren't rooted in... It goes back to this great reset of the brain. You know, people talk about the great reset. I think the great reset already happened. And I've been saying this for a while, that it seems like people's brains reset in late 2016. And they, you know, whether they completely forgot or whether they're just so out of touch with how things were before that... They think that everything began around that time. And I mean this. I, I truly feel that people are coming from a place where their brains were reset 
and they started fresh in late 2016, and that's just kind of their view of the world now. That's when the world started for them. Like there was some sort of moment of separation where they're now in a different world after experiencing some sort of brain reset. And uh, with that, though, and with this collective psychosis that people are in, and I really do believe it's some kind of collective psychosis, you know, we now start to change the origins. We, we're starting to change the etymology of words and phrases to where blacklist now apparently means black people list. I'm not even sure what they're getting at. I'm not even sure what they're actually getting at with that one. Like, they think that blacklist refers to black people being put on a list and excluded, black people being barred from doing things. You know, it's it's not the origin of the term. And then, of course, master bedroom isn't either. You know, it's as if the word master was invented for slavery. Like, that's kind of the perspective people are coming from, is that, oh, you know, the idea of being a master, the idea of mastering something, they now see the world through a lens where every word that can be connected to a certain time period or a certain anything that can be connected um, to you know slavery era America was created during slavery era America. That's sort of the perspective: is that if it came up, if it came into contact with slavery era America, it must have been created by them. The ter- these terms were created by them. And it, it's obviously silly, and I think, you know, my friend sent it to me because he didn't understand it. He was like, you know, how can they pretend that these words have origins that they don't? You know, basically, where do they get off saying that this word is rooted in something that it's not rooted in? And that's been going on for a long time, though. You know, that's one of those things that's been going on quite a while. And you can't really respond to it with logic. Like, you can't actually respond to that by saying, you know what, it's the roots of that word, the etymology of that word actually has nothing to do with what you're saying. And I mean, I, see, I remember a discussion I had at a job. It was with a friend of mine. So it was, it was friendly. So it wasn't like a hostile argument. But uh, a friend of mine that I worked with, she was saying like, Someone she knew used the word pussy, like they called somebody a pussy and she was really upset and it turned into an argument because she saw that as like, like she saw it as like calling somebody a vagina. Like when he called somebody a pussy, it was as if he was calling them a vagina and therefore it was a misogynistic comment because vaginas are clearly bad, therefore it's, it's a worthwhile insult to call somebody a, a pussy or a vagina. You know, that's kind of where she was coming from with it. But the term pussy actually doesn't come from that. The word pussy, you know, while that's come to be the, you know, no pun intended, but it's come to be the, uh, you know, the, just almost the, the given term for it. Pussy is the given term for vagina. I don't like to talk this way, but I, you know, I'm talking about language here and I won't censor myself. Uh, but... You know, while it's come to mean that, you can't necessarily retcon every use of pussy. And there, there's a word, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure a million people have made this point, but it's like pusillanimous or something. I might not be getting it right, but it basically means timid. And it turns out it actually comes from 
this older word that's gone out of use. And so I think like this person was arguing with somebody who was making that point, but she, in her mind, he was calling somebody a pussy because it meant vagina and vaginas are clearly inferior. That's how she saw it. But the reality is the etymology of the phrase, from what I understand, really has nothing to do with vaginas. It's where the term pussycat comes from as well. You know, pussycat, they, they weren't calling them vagina cats. You know, this is all rooted in whatever that word is. I don't want to sound like an idiot repeating the wrong word. But last I, last I checked, it was something like pusillanimous. You get that pusillanimous. Oh, you're, you're, you're being very pusillanimous. But you can see where something like that would become some sort of shorthand because it's a hard word to say. But, you know, people have sort of retconned it. And that includes people who use it as an insult. I mean, that's something important to point out is that, like, dudes who do say, dude, you're such a pussy. How come you're such a pussy anyway? You know, guys who say things like that, many of them do mean vagina. Like, many of them are using vagina as an insult. But the actual word isn't used that way. Like, it's no different than somebody, like, somebody who has a master bedroom can think that that's like the slave master, like, like, a someone who, who has a master bedroom can say to their family, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to go sleep in my master bedroom because you guys are slaves to me. You might be my family, but you're slaves to me. And I'm going to go sleep in my slave master bedroom. Like somebody is welcome to think that, but that doesn't make the origin of the term master bedroom. You know, it doesn't make it some sort of, um, whatever you call it, like a, like a plantation reference. It doesn't make it that, even though the person who has a master bedroom could even think that themselves. You know, someone who uses the phrase blacklist can very well, like, think that they're, you know, talking about black people, but the origin of the word, it doesn't change the origin of the word is the point. And that should be obvious, and, and you know, to people who are rational progressives, like my friend, that's the sort of stuff that gets them because they've always been like my friend, for example, like he and I disagree on a number of things. I've known him now for, you know, over 15 years, 16, 17 years. We've been in correspondence through music and stuff, and we've had disagreements about various things. And I know him to be a logical person like he arrived at his brand of progressivism. And hopefully I'm not miss uh, hopefully I'm not attributing something to him by by calling his beliefs progressive but that's how I'd consider them like true progressive uh, beliefs and I know that he arrived to them through logic and he wouldn't retcon definitions I know that he wouldn't change things just to fit his view but when he sees people that he might otherwise agree with on in certain ways like changing the definitions of words changing the origin of them or simply being ignorant enough to not know the origin of it and making an assumption, you know, when, when people see that and then they see people outraged over it, when they see people doing that coupled with this just hostile behavior, they say, what is going on? And, you know, I don't mean to go on too much about what my friend said here. I don't know. You know, I'm always cautious about quoting people, even if I don't name them. But it's just he seems extremely put off by the anger he's seeing. And, and I think it's new to him. I think for some people like him, like he was saying, he hadn't really paid enough attention up until now. Because when he when he contacted me recently, he was like, I can't believe like the anger of the left these days, like the tone. 
a part of me wants to go, where have you been for the last five years? Where have you been since 2015? But he's also a guy who lives his own life and doesn't pay attention to all the things I do. And so I'm not going to like scold somebody for realizing something now, or at least like suddenly being more aware now of this thing that I've been harping on for years. Like, I'm not going to take that. Instead, it's like, I agree. I'm glad you agree with me. We don't have to agree on anything else, but I'm glad you see now that one of the reasons for this reactionary movement we have, one of the reasons some people voted for Trumpsfeld is because of that tone. And even though that shouldn't be the entirety, like just because you don't like the tone of the left, you shouldn't base all of your political opinions around that. Like you shouldn't think like, oh, I don't like the tone of the left. So all of my beliefs are going to be the opposite of the left. But that's kind of how we operate on a primal level. Like it doesn't matter what someone is saying if they're saying it in a certain way, you will want to go on the opposite side of the room. You will want to exit stage left, and you very well might come out stage right. That's the interesting thing about this, is that so much of what we respond to is tone. And when you think about the hate people had for Trumpsfeld, you know, somebody could break it down and give rational, logical arguments for why they hated him. But how much of it, for most people, was just his tone? A lot of people seem to have been extremely upset about his tone and the way he talked, the way that he engaged with the world. Some people found it funny. Some people liked it. Some people, though, simply his tone was enough to, they wouldn't listen to anything he said. Nothing he said is okay because they are so bothered by his tone. And a lot of people wouldn't admit to that. A lot of people wouldn't admit that just tone alone is what made them hate Trumpsfeld more than even his opinions and policies and all of that. Not to say people didn't hate him for that, too, but just I think a lot of people wouldn't readily admit that the tone really kind of gave them a one track mind. But the opposite is also true, where there's a lot of people who really don't like the tone of the left, even beyond like the, the element of the left who's actively trying to hurt people like the part of the left who's actively trying to censor and demonize and ruin people's lives even away from them there's a lot of people who just don't like the casual tone of the left like not even the worst of the left but just the general tone that leftism has taken on and you know both of those are valid like i would never tell somebody like oh you shouldn't hate donald trumpsfeld just because of his tone and the way he communicates, like, I wouldn't tell someone not to hate him for that reason. They're more than welcome to do it. Just like I wouldn't tell someone, you know, hey, maybe you shouldn't become a complete right wing reactionary, just because you don't like the tone of the left, you know, I'd say the same thing to them. But if they're going to do that, go right ahead. Because it's so much of this, like I was saying a minute ago, so much of this is a is a response to things that seem inescapable. Like the reason right wing reactionaries are so upset by the tone of the left is because they see it everywhere. They can't seem to avoid it. And you know what? They even seek it out. And that's the thing you have to be aware of is that a lot of right wing reactionaries, while this stuff is everywhere, while the stuff that they're upset about is everywhere, no matter how you feel, it is everywhere. I just I don't see how you can deny it. But they also seek it out. So it's something that you will come in contact with. Like, if, like I said, if you consume any kind of media as a, as a right-wing reactionary, like you're inevitably going to see things that rub you the wrong way, that have that tone that you find upsetting, whatever it is. 
But then the, the, the catch to that is that people kind of become addicted to being angry and they seek it out. They'll, they'll even dig for it. I mean, I've done that. I totally admit that I've done that where there are times, and I, I usually catch myself feeling that way, but sometimes I go, you know what, I'm just going to do it. But I'll be deliberately seeking things out that piss me off. I'll deliberately dig into current events from such an angle that I'm, I know I'm going to piss myself off. I know that I'm going to, more than that, I, I know that I'm going to let other things piss me off, which really is just me pissing myself off. Like if I'm going to let other things piss me off, at the end of the day, that's just me pissing myself off. It, it, it's just the truth. And when you realize that, you end up with a lot more control over getting pissed off when you recognize that it's up to you. It doesn't matter what something is. It doesn't matter how much it bothers you. You know, At the end of the day, it's up to you. And there are situations where you should get pissed off. I think there are absolutely situations where you should. But whether you should or shouldn't, it's still up to you whether or not you're going to be pissed off at something. Uh, but I sometimes I will, point being, sometimes I will dig through shit that pisses me off. And it's because I want to feel that way. But I also, I've, I'm not as bad at, about that as I was when I was younger. Because when I was younger, I would do that, but I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Like, when I was younger, when I would pay attention to things that pissed me off, I would think, like, I, I almost thought I was being forced to look at it, even though I wasn't, even though I was consciously looking through a, a magazine or, a, you know, a, a, a web page, whatever it is. At the time, I didn't realize that I was choosing to do that, but I was. And when you realize that... You might still choose to do it sometimes, but you're at least aware of what you're doing. And I think that kind of helps keep the human fire alive. I think it helps you keep your priorities straight to sometimes go like, you know what, I'm going to go to Twitter, I'm going to go to some website, and I'm going to look at things that are going to piss me off. Socially, politically, it could be anything. It could be apolitical. But just looking at things that piss you off because we become addicted to that. And I think the only healthy way to deal with that is to at least make light of it. Like when I rant and rave on this show, probably gets serious sometimes, but I always try to, you know, spin it in some sort of comedic way. I always try to give it like some, I try to put a spin on it. You know, I try to put a spin on it to where it's like, I'm at least finding this entertaining. I'm at least trying to even be entertaining about it, maybe. Hopefully, hopefully somebody finds it entertaining. But I try not to just make it all about like, I I hate this, I hate it, I hate it. You want to hear about how much, you know, I don't want it to be just a, a purely, like, I don't want to be, I don't want to have a spell cast over me where I'm just ranting out of just pure anger. Like, hopefully I'm detached enough that I can find the humor in it. But that said, I still need to get it out of my system. I still have to look at it, I still have to say something about it sometimes. And uh, with, um, but, but it's like, it's a feeling of when you feel that you're surrounded by something too. So it's like you're surrounded by it and then you kind of depend on it. I mean, I've had that experience with a boss and coworker before where I remember like really not liking them or not liking something they did, like thinking they were incompetent and you know, you know how workplace gossip gets, you know, you, you talk about it. You find your confidence and you vent. But venting kind of becomes an addiction because you can easily justify all kinds of toxic shit by just saying, just venting. Oh, don't worry. Say it. Say it. 
We're just sitting here venting. We're just coworkers getting a drink after work. We're just friends talking about our, talking about work. Say it, say it. You know, people get that way about it where it's like we're just venting. Oh, now we're venting every day. Now we're venting all day every day. But when you get into that kind of mode, like even if somebody is inept, or even if somebody does do things that piss you and everybody else off, you can almost become addicted to that. Like I, rem- I had a boss at one point where like everybody, everybody kind of made fun of him and thought he was clueless and inept. And then when he would do things that were good, you, also, you almost had to be like, well, yeah, but. Or if he was just doing nothing and he was just boring, like he, he hadn't done anything to piss anybody off in a while and work was just boring in a good way, maybe, you still, like, you've gotten kind of addicted to talking shit. You've kind of gotten addicted to seeing this person as, you know, just just a, a screw-up. So you start looking for opportunities to talk about it again. Like, the slightest thing that person does, like, something that normally wouldn't piss you off at all if anybody else did it, suddenly becomes, like, something else to complain about. Suddenly it becomes annoying to you because that person did it. You know, we do that not just with people, but we do it with just events. We do it with ideas, and that's insane. It's completely insane, but it's something we do. And it's and when there's some sort of collective psychosis, we tend to do it even more. And that plays into this sort of retconning of language where it's like you take language that actually doesn't have an offensive connotation, and then you change the meaning you change the origin of the word and it's sort of a version of what i'm talking about it's like there's nothing there for you to be bothered by it has a similarity to something else that bothers you but that thing that bothers you wasn't created for that reason either you know these words weren't created for that reason it turns out the word master applies to a lot of different things You know, if you're familiar with, they have master gardener programs, or you can become a certified master gardener. Is that in reference to slavery? Like, slaves gardened. You know, a a master, you know, a master gardener. Sounds like slave master gardener. No, you know, obviously the term has all kinds of uses. But when people are kind of going through this trip, it's it's like they're tripping on a drug. It's like well, you know what, this sounds like this, or this uses the same root word. Let's assume the absolute worst about it. Let's find something wrong with it. And I think people like my friend who have always come to their conclusions through logic, and they, they hear that and they're like, what is wrong here? Like, what has gone wrong in people's thinking that they're seeing this in that? And it's not something you can answer. You know, it's not something you can actually answer because the idea is that you can't respond with logic. You can't respond to that with logic without somehow putting yourself out there. You're making yourself vulnerable. Like when you're the one who says, oh, hey, guys, just so you know, blacklist doesn't have roots in American racism. You know, when when you're the person who puts yourself out there and says that, even though it's factually true... You make yourself vulnerable because people are going to say, well, hey, uh, are you defending slavery? And you say, no, I just want it to be clear that the term black wasn't created for black people. The term black wasn't invented to refer solely to black people. (laughs) You know, 
the mafia had an, an early extortion racket that they called the Black Hand, and they would put a black hand, a draw, like a crude little drawing of a black hand on these threatening letters. Were they pretending to be black people? Were these early Italian immigrants pretending to, who, who lived nowhere near African Americans, were they pretending to be black people? No. It was a euphemism, the black hand. You know, I mean, anybody listening to this doesn't need to hear this, but I'm just saying it's interesting how, like, the collective psychosis makes somebody think the term black, the word black, the color black, was invented to refer to black people. Because that's the logic you're using, or the lack of logic you're using, when you say that blacklist is a racially insensitive term. And, uh, you know, so this idea that, like, it's, it's a retconning. And w- the thing is, we saw this already happen. This is the one thing, like, a lot of things have happened over the last couple of years, especially the last year, that relate to this discussion. But the thing that I always bring up, I was talking to Miles about this the other day, is when the dictionary changed one of its definitions last year. That was a moment for me. Like, I've seen a lot of this censorship. I've seen a lot of, I saw this coming I saw it get here, and I see where it's going. You know, none of this stuff is a surprise to me. I'm not somebody who wasn't paying attention to what the left was doing and then suddenly became a reactionary. I went to the Evergreen State College 2004, 2008. I live in Olympia, Washington. I grew up near Seattle. I know the material, and I've had a chance to see it slowly build. And while I've been surprised by things here or there, for the most part, none of this stuff is a surprise to me. I've I've been aware of the direction the left has been heading for a, quite a long time. And I don't blame anybody for being surprised by it. I don't blame anybody who was on board with most of the you know the left's talking points up until recently and suddenly realized like oh hey there's something wrong with the tone here and it's pushing me away from them. Might not be changing your values but it probably shouldn't. Like my values don't change based on somebody else's tone. But there are people who are just now picking up on like, hey, there's something tonally wrong here. And it's putting people off in droves. Many of them quiet. Many of them are quiet about it because they don't want to make themselves vulnerable. They don't want to be the person who says, well, hey, you know what? The word blacklist actually you know, has nothing to do with race. Because that, of all things, makes you vulnerable that of all things makes people say well hey you know uh we're not really sure about you similar to the the plus size mannequin thing i was going off about yesterday where it's like you don't want to be the first person who says maybe we have enough plus size mannequins on the floor it's very difficult to be that person right now and why would you want to be that person And that's my approach is that I don't even want to play the game because logic isn't a part of it. It's like, you know, there's this intellectual dark web thing that doesn't seem to be around anymore, but it was like a buzzword for a year. It was just some of these guys who are, you know, some of them are on the left, some of them are on the right. But for the most part, they're fairly middle ground people who just were opposed to the direction the left's been heading. There are people who were commenting on it publicly before a lot of people were. 
And, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't call myself a fan of, of that group as a group, but there are individuals in it I like. And I think overall they all have their place. I think they all have a role. But one issue with them that I've had is that they've been approaching all of this for years now from the point of view of, well, if we just break it down in terms of logic, we're going to win the argument. Like, oh, we're going to challenge, quote-unquote, woke ideology by just showing how their logic is faulty. And we can see where the people who have taken that approach are just spinning their wheels, and they have been for years. They don't actually have an effective counter-argument because it's not an argument of logic. And I don't think it even needs to be. I'm not somebody who misses the logic even. I'm not even somebody who th- who's sitting here thinking like, gee, I sure wish we could have a logical discourse about this. Because my point of view is I'm going to live out my values. I'm going to live them out. And if I feel that it's appropriate, maybe I'll say something about them. But I'm also just figuring out my values as I go. You know, while there are some things that are just embedded in me in principle and I won't break them I've been figuring things out as I go and because of that I'm not interested in getting locked into some sort of fixed argument and then within that argument people are talking about completely different things one side is like well we have to break this down with logic and the other side says we don't need logic this is how it is And it's like, I'm not interested in participating in that at all. And I I think that those people who do want to do that, I think that intellectual dark web type group, people like that. I think that that's become kind of an umbrella term for a lot of other things. I don't think it's just the guys that got labeled that a couple years ago. I think it's become kind of an umbrella term for like all of these disgruntled academics who have been put off by the far left. I think it's just kind of an umbrella term for anybody who has this kind of like slightly, I don't know, just anybody who has used their platform in a public way to be sort of a moderate, saying the left has gone too far, but I'm not on the right, because that's kind of where a lot of those people fit in. You know, there's maybe one or two that would actually identify themselves as being on the right. But a lot of that platform is people who are just like, I'm, I always consider myself on the left. I always considered myself a moderate. And, it, you know, it's the left who's broken my heart. You know, that's kind of the, the platform a lot of those people have. So it makes sense that they want to, like, try to right the ship or correct, you know, make some sort of corrective measure. Like, they, a lot of them want to go back to the way things were. They're like, why can't we go back to the days when uh, the left was the counterculture? Why can't we go back to the days when, you know, the Vietnam War? was what the left was protesting. You know, they kind of have this nostalgic view of the left that they grew up with, where the left was the, the group that was promoting free speech. The left was the group that was funny and creative. Like a lot of those people came of age either during that time, like when the left was actually innovating culture, which they were, whether I agree with their values or not doesn't even make a difference. The fact is, is that the left was innovating culture. They were innovating art for many years. And then they turned a corner where they, they stopped, their creativity dried up. They became nasty. Everything they do is completely derivative. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, but let me, let me be mean here. Everything they do these days is completely derivative creatively. 
they're humorless. You know, yet they've they, it's, they have this reputation of. Oh, remember, we're the ones who uh, kickstarted the '60s, man. Oh, we're the ones who created uh, rock and roll. You know, we're the because because it's really resting on their laurels. I mean, the left has been resting on their their laurels as creative and truly rebellious people for many years. And I'm not saying anything about the right either. Like, I don't think the right is coming up with that great of stuff. Like some people will say, oh, the only funny people are on the right these days. And I don't think that's necessarily true either. You can see where a lot of what they're doing is derivative as well. And because we've moved away from classic liberalism, like because we because liberalism and the left and progressivism, because it's moved so far away from what it was in decades past, conservatives are now claiming that too. Like a lot of conservatives are sort of like, why can't we go back to like Janis Joplin and uh, Jimi Hendrix? Like the conservatives, things the conservatives never would have gone for at the time. But now like we've moved, you know, society has become as a whole more progressive. That's undeniable. But with that, conservatism becomes more progressive where it's like you'll have conservatives today who are like, I just wish I just wish uh, culture had, you know, gangster rap again. I just wish culture had, you know, some of that classic 70s punk. Like things that never would have been aligned with the right wing. The right wing will now claim because the older version is kind of conservative by today's standards. You know, so that's why they they feel comfortable claiming it. Like a punk band from 1978 Chances are they are more conservative than like a mainstream pop artist today. I'm only half joking, but it's the truth. And so you end up with like conservatives like claiming culture and art. But the reality is not that many conservatives are coming up with great ideas either. I think, you know, while I generally find right-leaning humor a little funnier these days than what the left is pushing, I still don't think the right are are gods of creativity. I I still don't think the right are the funniest people in the world. I mean, I think the funniest people in the world, the most creative people in the world, in my opinion, are generally independent. They generally operate in their own little space. They don't use these things as handrails for understanding the world. Because at the end of the day, that's how I see politics. That's how I see political opinions, I guess is how I should put it. To me, somebody who has a completely defined rigid political viewpoint is using that as a handrail for understanding the world. And I'm not saying they're stupid for it. I'm just saying that like using that it's, it's by its very nature, a handrail. It's something you're holding on to as some sort of guide that's going to help you navigate in the world. Cause operating from an independent space means like you, you never, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a certain discomfort to it. It means you're always going to be uncomfortable. Because there are times where I start thinking of myself where I'm like, you know what, like the left has put me off so much that I am just a, a full-blown conservative. Like there are times where I feel that way. And then I go be around like just people who identify themselves as total conservatives. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, this isn't for me either. Like this isn't for me either, you know, where it's just like, normal conservatives like I don't really have that much in common with them it's like just when I think like when I'm 
I mean, it's the same experience as like in those moments where I'm finally starting to think maybe I just am a Buddhist. Then I watch some video of a bunch of people at like an ashram, like a bunch of Western people, like listening to some speaker and seeing the way their faces look while they're listening to them pisses me off so much that I'm like, yeah, there's no way I could actually be a a full blown Buddhist and FBB. It's like right when I'm at that moment, though, where I'm like, maybe I just should tell people I'm a Buddhist. I'll watch a video and be like, no, (laughs) my inner hater comes out. My, you know, just that stubborn curmudgeon comes out and is just like, no, there's no way you could identify yourself that way. You don't belong with these people, even though the ideas are relevant to you. Same thing with Christianity, like talking to somebody about the Bible, you know, who's like talking to like somebody who's a, a, you know, a born again Christian about the Bible like here I I'll, I'll be in this moment where I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm really into the Bible. I'm pretty much a Christian. I'm pretty much a Christian because I just I read the Bible every night and I think about these these stories and these characters all the time. And then I'll meet somebody who's a born again Christian and I realize that I can't even talk to them. Not cuz I don't want to, but just like our perspectives are so different. It turns out we're not even looking at the same thing. We're not even viewing the world in a similar way despite sharing a mutual interest. And and so it's the same thing with Buddhism. It's the same thing with politics. Cause I mean, I used to have that feeling when I was younger, like, like, I don't think I was ever that deep into liberalism and the left or any of that. Like, I don't think maybe when I was a teenager for a minute, I would have considered myself, you know, on the left, but I used to get that feeling in those situations too. Like I remember going to the evergreen state college and it wasn't it's always been extreme, but it wasn't as extreme as it is now. But when I went there, I remember like sitting in classes where we were having these socio-political discussions and thinking, yeah, this is not for me. The way these people view the world is not for me on a gut level, on, a, on an intellectual level. What these people are saying, while I can understand the logic, it's not for me. And there was a logic to it. Like when I was in college at Evergreen, the sorts of discussions that would take place were generally logical. Like even if I didn't agree, I felt like if a certain professor was breaking something down a certain way, it was you know, at least rooted in, in some kind of logic. Whereas, you know, what people are so upset by now is that it's become illogical and people will even admit it's illogical. Like the people who are saying it will even say, you know, well, this is just how I see things. Like they will say, if you were to debate the blacklist thing and say, prove that the word blacklist, if you were able to prove that the word blacklist didn't refer to race, somebody would say, yeah, but that's how I hear it. They would say, that might be true, but when I hear it, I think it's talking about excluding black people. That's how it makes me feel. And where do you go with that? You don't go anywhere, which is why I'm saying these people who think that like, oh, I'm, but I'm going to keep explaining to that person. Like the person who says it doesn't matter what the etymology is. It makes me feel a certain way. The person who says that, uh, they're not looking to engage. They're not looking to break it down any further. Like what they've done is they've just laid down their ace card. I don't know. I don't play cards. I don't know if that makes sense. They've just, you know, they've laid it out right there. 
And everything is going to circle back to that. Like, because they laid it out in that way, everything you try to say is going to circle back to that point. And you might rack your brain trying to find, oh, I thought of the, I, I thought of the thing that's going to crack them. I thought of the thing that's going to just make their house of cards fall apart and they're going to see it my way. You can't do that because everything you say circles back to that central point they made that can't be argued with. So they, all they have to do is stand by that. All they have to do is say that, yeah, but it makes me feel this way. It makes us feel this way. It makes them feel this way. Because they'll speak for other people. That's the amazing thing about all that stuff is, uh, <laughs> you know, the whole blacklist thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how controversial that actually is, but somebody brought it up to me. You know, I wonder how many of the people who are vehemently against the word blacklist being used are actually black. You know, it's a good question. You know, I wonder how many of them even belong to the group in question. But that person, you know, whoever they are, it's like they can just hold their ground on like their perception of the word. And so why would you try to develop some strategy? Why would you spin your wheels developing some strategy that's going to prove them wrong? And I was saying to a different friend the other night, uh, how, you know, I've been waiting for the point where it's all too much. Because I think that anybody who is coming from the same place I am or a similar place has been waiting the last few years kind of saying to themselves, like, when is the point where people will say, you know what, this has gotten kind of weird. This doesn't feel right. You know what, I don't agree with that. You know, I've been waiting for people to get to that point, and some people do. But I've been waiting for certain people I know who I think of as rational people, who I think of as very self-aware people. I've been waiting for some of them to reach a point where they kind of go, yeah, this has gotten a little weird for me. If nothing else, a little weird. I'm not even going to use any, you know, completely negative words. Because I think that that's, that's one of those feelings you have to watch for in your own life when you go, yeah, this thing that I was into is starting to make me feel a little weird. And then you start questioning the whole thing, you know, and, and you might not need to go back. Like, you know, just because you start finding some things weird doesn't mean you have to give up all your own beliefs. Because that's the weird thing about the whole censorship thing is there's this idea that if you hear the wrong piece of information that plants a seed in your mind that people see as negative, like if somebody is allowed to speak their piece and you hear it, there's this idea that you're going to change completely if you hear the wrong thing. Like there's this idea that if you hear, you know, a if you hear a conservative speaker at a college say something that is considered socially reprehensible to the average college student, like are you going to adopt not just that, but are you going to just adopt that entire set of beliefs? Is that the concern? Because I've said this before, and I don't, you know, I don't know how much I need to go on about the censorship thing again. I mentioned it yesterday. But the thing about censorship is it comes from a place, even when it's at its best, even censorship at its most well-meaning operates from a belief that we need to control what you come into contact with because you are so gullible 
you are so malleable. You are so stupid, maybe, that you can't hear an idea without either suddenly adopting it or letting that idea be a gateway to a whole other set of beliefs. You know, we think, though, that you shouldn't be allowed to hear it because we think that you are that susceptible. Meanwhile, the person who's trying to control it, the person who's trying to censor, really is trying to change the way people think. They are trying to brainwash people. Because you can brainwash somebody by limiting the information they're receiving, too. I mean, I think that's actually... People talk about brainwashing like it's some sort of, like, hypnotism, where you, like, sit somebody down and you say, like... You will vote Republican. You will vote Republican. Say it with me. I will vote Republican. I will vote Republican. Like we think that uh, it's like some form of hypnotism. Oh, he's brainwashing him. He's making him repeat, I'm a Republican over and over again. And that's going to make him vote Republican. No, brainwashing is far more effective. And I'd be willing to bet it happens far more often by limiting the information somebody's exposed to. If you limit what somebody is exposed to, that's going to do more than just trying to convince them outright, trying to like literally have them repeat something over and over again. That's people do that, too. You know, there's there's more direct active brainwashing that goes on. That's a real thing. But I think it happens far more often and it's far more insidious when it's through omission. It's brainwashing through omission. And that's what censorship does. Censorship brainwashes people through omission. And then tells you it's doing you a service because apparently you're too stupid to actually take in an idea and consider it on your own terms, no matter what it is. So it's a fundamentally misanthropic premise. Censorship is a fundamentally misanthropic uh, premise because it assumes that you are less capable of dealing with information than they are. And that you might become something they don't want you to be if you're exposed to that information. It's like a gremlin getting a drop of water. It's like you can't get one drop of water on your back because then you might turn into a full-blown gremlin. Full-blown everything. But that's sort of the idea behind censorship, is that if you're exposed to one little idea, it could cause you to turn into a monster. So we'll just cut out the, you know, we'll just cut it all out. We'll make sure that a drop of water never gets on your back and you stay a cute little gremlin. You stay a cute little baby gremlin. But you're still a gremlin. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave This golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains 
Take my hand and walk this land.